Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, here in my home, we're doing more of these face-to-face in phase two of COVID, is my friend Cody Swenson. Welcome to the podcast, Cody. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I've been Facebook friends with Cody for a while, and on May 7th, um, Cody, for the first time, in a public way, came out on Facebook, and it was a post that um, was just a beautiful coming out post. It had 187 comments, and as I read through most of those comments, I just loved the amount of love directed, rightly so, at Cody as he shared his journey. Cody is 37, active LDS, served a mission in Mendoza. Mendoza. Say that right, Mendoza, yeah, Argentina. And um, has a degree in psychology from BYU, currently has an HR job in Utah County. And Cody's just going to share his story of identifying as gay or whatever title. I'll let Cody explain that. Um, And his 20-year journey on this. A lot of the podcasts we do are with younger people in their 20s. I think this will be a very helpful podcast because Cody's been walking this road, receiving personal revelation. Um, working with therapists and other wonderful people for a long time. And as we visited ahead of time, I just felt a wonderful, mature, authentic spirit. And our prayer before we um, went live on the podcast is this will be a podcast that will help you, you that are LGBTQ and trying to figure out how to make your way. Our hope is that this podcast will give you more hope and more tools. Um, Parents, LDS parents that are trying to help their LGBTQ kids, local leaders, or just any of you other listeners. So welcome again to the podcast. Glad to have you here, Cody. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Will you start and just read this Facebook post? It's not a long one, but it just is a great Facebook post. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wrote, if you are my friend, I'm asking you to read this. I've tried to think about how I would do this, and nothing profound is coming to mind. But it is something I must do for my own well-being. This will be brief, but I cannot cannot overstate the long and tumultuous journey I have taken to get to this point. I have been hiding from the world, and in so doing, I feel like I've told myself that I'm something worth hiding. No more hiding. I am gay, queer, same-sex attracted, whatever you want to call it. The label is not that important to me. The fact is that I'm attracted to men. I lived in denial for decades, which, let me tell you, makes for a big mess. When I was finally able to admit this to myself, I knew I had a very difficult decision to make. I knew that I had to walk away from something. I either, I had to either walk away from my faith or walk away from my ability to have a loving relationship. Heavy, right? No matter what I chose, heartache would come along with it. Also, no matter what I chose, I knew there would be people in my life that would not understand or agree with my decision. How people respond probably shouldn't be important to me, but it is, because I love and value you. No matter your beliefs and no matter how you choose to live your life, I love and value you. The worst thing that could come from this in my eyes would be to lose one of you. I made the decision to walk away from my ability to have a loving relationship. I chose to stay with my faith. Ram Das said that we are all just walking each other home. My hope is that no matter how you view me or my decision, you will continue to walk with me. Behind this revelation is a sprawling story, my story. It is a very tender and fragile part of me. 
I expect some will wish to comment. I ask that you be gentle and kind. Just a great Facebook post. Yeah, it it was it was something really uh heavy on my mind and and I wanted it to be brief, but I wanted to get across the situation and and I wanted it to be good. Um and I I, I really worried about uh all of my friends because I I mean I feel like I have a uh a potpourri of you know different friends from different backgrounds and and I knew that some people wouldn't understand and and um I wanted to make sure that everyone, you know, felt uh, the importance of this this decision and 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 how important it was to me. Some people, you know, I've always wondered when you make a post like that, do you then close the computer and and not read the comments for a while, or is it? I would think if it would be pretty tempting not to read the comments as they're coming in because you've just vulnerably shared something for the first time with a broad group. Just walk us through. How you handled that? So I I did it. So I, I'm working from home currently. Um, so work finished, and uh, I had written this up a few days previous, and I wasn't entirely sure when I would you know pull the trigger. Um, I had a really great talk with my youngest brother the night before because um, I I had told him what I was thinking about doing and and how I was kind of freaking out about it. Um, and so anyway, that, that day, I just, if I, I decided that was the day and, um, I posted it both on Facebook and Instagram. And, uh, as soon as I pulled the trigger, I just kind of got up and kind of paced around the house. <laughs> and, uh, I, I didn't check on any of the specific comments for probably I don't know, 10 minutes. Um, but then I started hearing the ding, you know, the noise that my computer was making as, as people were posting. And once I started to hear that go off, um, I, it was too tempting to, to not go and check out some of the comments and, have to. and stuff. Totally. I mean, it, and, and fortunately it was, it was all good. I mean, it, it, it there was no, negative comments and and everything that was said was said uh, you could tell was was coming from a place of love and and so it was really awesome really spectacular reading the comments on coming out facebook posts or instagram posts often is i'm really pleased with where we're moving as a church and society and the love and the support and you need to fill the balm of gilead any as you vulnerably share this part of your life for the first time that you've known for a couple decades, that takes a lot of courage. And I think we need to comment. And, and so we'll circle back to that. Um, let's start with where we often start in these podcasts, kind of right before your mission. Are you aware, is this part of you um, pre-mission that you're wondering where, where am I with my sexual orientation? Right. So before my mission, I mean, I would say even at, at about the age of 12, 13, I knew that something was different. And I, I felt that something was, I felt that I didn't fit in. 
that's that that was how it started um it was just i didn't feel like i was like the other boys um and and that kind of progressed and um and before my mission i i definitely had doubts um deep down i i i knew that there was something there there was some sort of attraction um but i could never admit that to myself and i was in deep deep denial and and told myself that that was not a thing you know that that was not my thing that was not real i was just being paranoid and um um there was a there was a girl in our stake that i was that i told myself that i that i had feelings for and um and bless bless her heart i i i think about her and and I don't know. I, I feel, I feel bad. I feel bad for, for that, how that went, how that played out because I, I know that she had feelings for me and, and I thought, and I wanted to have feelings for her, but, but it was obviously not, you know, nothing, nothing came of it. Um, but I, I, yeah. So yes, in answer to your question, I knew that there was, uh, an attraction there. Um, but I was in definite denial. Did you come out to anybody before your mission? Did you talk to anybody? Um, so I talked to, I brought it up with my bishop. I brought it up with my bishop when I was interviewing for my mission. I, I just told him, I was like, hey, I, I'm really worried about this. I'm really worried that I am attracted to men. And honestly, I believe he he responded the way it, it needed to happen. the The way he he responded was 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 best. He he didn't say, "Oh no, no, you know, you're not you're not gay." Um, he just said, "You know what? Sometimes sometimes guys compare themselves, or they 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 compare themselves to other men, and they they are concerned with that kind of thing." and and so it wasn't that he said, no, you're not gay. Um, but he, he at least put my mind at ease and I felt like I was okay to, to move forward with the mission. Um, and, uh, and that I, I feel like that played out the way it, it needed to, because I was able to go on a mission and, and be completely confident in, in what I was doing and in my, you know, my worthy state as a missionary, uh, and, and that there was nothing, um, impeding me from, from being the best missionary I could be. I love your thoughts on that. Um, and maybe heavenly father wanted you to hear that, that kind of counsel or thought at that point, knowing that at, at later times in your life, post mission, you'd have, it would be the right time to explore this fuller. Right. So maybe that was exactly what you were supposed to hear at that point. Yeah. No, I, I really sort of line upon line. Yes. I really believe that. I mean, I, I believe that he responded exactly the way he needed to, that it, it needed to play out at that time and, and, and where I was at in my, in my journey, uh, with, with same sex attraction. Uh, yeah. Talk about same sex attraction of being a missionary. Um, it was, it was 
it wasn't there. It, it was, uh, it's like it went dormant. Um, and, uh, there was never ever a concern about that during those two years. Um, which I, I count as a huge blessing because it, it would have been, or at, le at least I, I know what it became as far as a, a distraction and what it became in my mind, you know, years after my mission, the, the amount of mental bandwidth that, that went into thinking about same-sex attraction and, and whether or not that was something that I was dealing with. Um, at least during that time, that, that wasn't, that wasn't a cross I had to bear. It wasn't something that I had to deal with. And I was able to focus on being a missionary. Any thoughts why it went dormant? Man, that's, that's a great question. I, I really believe that I believe that it was a gift. I mean, I, I do. I really believe that, that the focus, you know, thinking about missionary work and, and being able to kind of sink into that, 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 that identity, um, as a missionary, uh, I feel like I was able to focus on, on missionary work. And, and I, I feel like I was blessed in so doing and, and that, 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 that was at least a very small, um, something very small and, and, and on the back burner, I guess. It's interesting. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. I, I I... You're doing just fine, okay, Cody. And right. that's a consistent story I've heard. Um, some of you that are looking for di dissertation material, you could look at that and do some research. But the pretty consistent narrative I've heard from men and women that were aware of their sexual orientation, um, same sex or gay or not straight, queer, <laughs> before their mission, went left with some anxiety about that. But most never fell in love with a companion. And I've, I just, I like the word dormant in a way, and it seems like they're part of this greater brotherhood or sisterhood cause. No one's dating. No one's sort of talking about relationships. Right. And and I've wondered if there's some brotherhood connection that, not in a sexual way, but just in a, you're a part of a brotherhood of a greater cause. And there's not, it's not part of your sexual orientation, but it just sort of, you have a sense of feeling a belonging with this greater cause of brotherhood or sisterhood. And it somehow fills, fulfills an emotional need as part of just making your way forward. It just makes it easier. I don't, I'm not trained as a therapist. And so that you listeners can dismiss that or whatever you want to think about that. But I've thought about that a little bit. Um, talk about, are you okay with that or? Yeah. Okay. I don't want to put my agenda in the middle of your podcast, Cody. Or no, my, no, that's great. My um, thoughts. Talk about coming home and when you, sort of realize this isn't dormant. Right. Um, so I would say oh man. Maybe within I would say within a year, um 
those those feelings kind of came back and there was that that same um doubt and uh unsureness uh just about my sexuality and um and i think that came with just you know feelings of attraction being you know attracted and noticing other men and and um and i i that same denial and and that you know effort to convince myself that that was not because i was attracted to them it was not a sexual thing it was just you know i'm just noticing and and it's completely harmless and and i'm you know completely normal and and i'm just you know thinking way too much about this and and um and so that kind of mental running back and forth uh definitely set in and and the the mental battle kind of resumed uh and and that was that was hard um i mean that's that's a a hard thing to to deal with um it's exhausting it's really exhausting did um were you able to date i assume you tried to date women right um coming to terms with sex orientation was it noticing you're attracted to men at times or was it noticing that it just didn't quite work with women Ooh, or a little, yeah. just walk our listeners through that okay um that's a good that's a really good question i would say more than anything it was that it it didn't work with with women i was not feeling um i was not feeling attracted there was no attraction and and i remember in my mind i i told myself man it's got to be i just i just have to be like it's just i haven't met the right woman and i i i am not attracted to them and and i thought I thought maybe I was just like had too high of standards, like, oh, maybe I just am expecting too much. And I, I want these like, you know, 11 out of 10 women and and I need to just like relax and, and get over it and not be such a, you know, shallow person. Um, but that wasn't it. I mean, that was definitely not it. It was just there wasn't there wasn't that attraction. Um, and and then you would add to that the the fact that I would notice men, um, and I would notice things about men, and uh, and I, yeah. So the a mixture of both for sure. And you were at BYU at this time. Um, so right after, right after my mission, I, I did my associate's degree at UBU, um, and then I transferred to BYU. And so, yeah, both. And tell our listeners, I'm not sure I mentioned this, tell our listeners where you grew up and then where right. you came home. So I, your, your parents I, moved while you're on your mission. Right. I grew up in a place called, it's actually called the Tascadero, California. It's a, a small town outside of a place called San Luis Obispo. Um, I lived there, uh, all, you know, growing up and left on my mission from there. And then, uh, while I was on my mission, my family moved here to Utah. Um, and so when I came home from my mission, I, I came home to, to Utah and 
you know, right after getting back, I started school at UVU doing my associate's degree, hoping my hope was to transfer over to BYU, which worked out. And so I, I went over to BYU and finished up my, my degree there. Um, when I talk, when I was a singles word bishop and I talked to YSAs that had come home from their mission, I think a lot of them just felt like the deals they made on the plane ride home and the reality of their life never quite matched. And they've always, it was just hard to keep the same level of stand obedience and focus or personal goals. And I felt the YSAs were a little burdened sometimes. I felt guilty for kind of, it's a transition to sort of go from return, mission life to, and so they were sometimes harder on themselves than I thought they should be. Did you get, did you think this is all kind of, because you went from this dormant stage in your mission to now I'm starting to feel feelings for men. Did then you sort of get negative towards yourself or this is my fault. I'm not as spiritual as I was on the mission. If I were just up to that standard, I wouldn't be having feelings for men. Or were you able to sort of somehow separate those? I, I went, I definitely went through this phase of, um, sort of social withdrawal. Uh, and, and I, I pulled away from people in general and I, at the time I would have told you that I hate people, that I just hate people. And, um, and I, you know, like grew my hair out <laughs> and, and wore dark clothing and, and was just kind of withdrawn. And, uh, I, I definitely felt like looking back at it, I know that I was, was pushing people away because I didn't want them to see what I saw, uh, or what I believed I was. Um, and I, so I, I was pushing the world away, um, and and that's that's when I first like started dealing with major depression and and anxiety, um, and I entered a, a really interesting part of my life. Uh, like while I was at BYU, I, I really struggled with um, with depression, and um, and so I had a hard time letting people in. And I still do. I, I still, that's still something that I, I really struggle with is, is letting people get close to me. Um, and I, and I think it's kind of this learned, I, I, I think I developed this, this way about me of, of keeping people away, um, because I didn't want them to, to see who I was. It's really honest. And you're, as we visit ahead of time, I just felt this is a guy that's really honest, really authentic, no shame, and in a really good spot, but it's walked a long road. What were you, what did you see you were back in your twenties? Yeah. Um, looking back, as I've said, you know, there was, I was definitely in denial, but I, I saw a very, Like <laughs> I saw myself as a, a very flamboyantly 
gay person. And, and so I, I, it was all, it took all of my energy to sort of hide that. And I, 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 I believed that, that, that that's what I was. Um, I, I now know that I'm not very flamboyant. Um, but I, at the time, I just felt like I was this clucking hen and, and I, I would put forth a lot of effort to, to sort of subdue myself and, and, and hide myself, um, from, from the world. Um, but I, I, looking back, I knew, I knew there was same sex attraction there. I knew I was attracted to men, but I was, I was in that deep denial. Um, what, what, how did you feel God felt about you? Cause sometimes if you feel that way about yourself and your feeling of your own self-worth isn't very high, you don't feel worthy of God's love or you even pull away from God. Did you, did you feel, how, how did God feel about you? And what was your relation with God in your twenties? In my twenties, I believed that I had a really hard time with, uh, with God. There was, um, there was definitely some anger there and feeling uh, forgotten and just like, you know, discarded. And, and, and that was really hard for me because growing up, you know, like before my mission, um, I was the golden child. I mean, I, I was the golden child. Um, I was very active, very obedient. It was so important to me, uh, important to me to be obedient to my parents. I mean, and, and this is something that I, I, struggle with now. I mean, I feel like, um, I, I feel like it's gotten better, but I feel like at the time, you know, I was taught that righteousness equaled blessings. If I was, if I did my part, there was no stopping the blessings from coming. And so I felt very much, uh, in my twenties, I felt very much, uh, sort of betrayed and, and that the equation was total baloney and um and that it was not working that i that all of that all of that obedience was for naught um because i was still struggling with this thing and uh it was still there and it wasn't going away and i couldn't seem to get my life together um because that that bled into every aspect of my life. I mean, everything, it wasn't just this like inner, inner battle that I was having with myself. I mean, I, I really believe that every part of my life was affected by that, that turmoil. Um, and I, I feel like even to this point that I, I have struggled to gain traction in life and just moving forward. And so at the time, I definitely felt like, where are you at? You know, where are you at, God? Um, I I have been working really hard, and I have been so good, and I am not seeing any any fruits from that. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's good. Love your honesty. To talk, share, listeners 
um, your feelings about God. My feelings about God. Your 37-year-old self feelings about God. I believe deeply that God exists, that he is aware of me. I believe that... um, I believe that he is, that his hands are tied a lot more than we would believe. And what I mean by that is I believe that because of agency, the world would, the world gets after God for not swooping in and fixing everything. But I believe that he can't, um, that his hands are tied because of, because of agency. And so what I believe about God is I believe that he is there and he holds us when we, when we struggle and when we suffer and as much as he would like to fix it, he can't. And so what he can do is he can sucker us. He can come in and he can comfort us and, and, and listen to us. There have been many times where I have yelled at God and been very, very angry. And I have let him hear about it. And I believe he's okay with that. And I I believe that he um, understands and, uh, and accepts our anger and, and totally gets it. I, I, I really believe that he gets, he gets why we're angry. He gets why we struggle. Um, And, and he is, like I said to you earlier, he is the master of putting a silver lining on things. I really believe that what I consider to be a not so great life, like my my life, I look back and I and I feel like I have not amounted to much, but I believe that there will come a time when he pulls it all together and, and I will realize, oh, okay, that's what this was all about. And, and I, I, I believe that that's his, that's one of his things is, is putting that silver lining on things and creating, creating the mosaic from the broken, broken pieces. Um, and I, I, I await that day. Well, I've got tears in my eyes. Some of you listening have tears in your eyes. This line that you shared, Cody, I wrote down before we, you shared it before we went live. He is the master of putting a beautiful silver lining on things. What a great, what a great insight into God. And I think this Heavenly Father, this God that you're talking about, can feel human emotion. I think being perfect doesn't mean you don't feel emotion. I think he, he, and I think he can handle anger and frustration. I think he, because he's human, he can feel those same things. And I love what you've learned about God and what you're sharing with our listeners. Yeah. Um, and I love your honesty about where your life is right now. I'm sure if we could have your 17-year-old self on the podcast and talk about and that 17-year-old guy in California could talk about his hopes for his 37-year-old self, it would not be who you, you know, unmarried, no kids, 
um, yeah, this thing that you're feeling inside is really true. I really do. I really am gay. Um, but I love what you talked about with the mosaic mm-hmm. and just your your hope and your belief that this is all part of a plan that eventually um, there will be more understanding and more totality of why this is part of your journey. And I hope that it, that once that happens, that if your 17-year-old self could see that, and maybe your 17-year-old self seeing your 37-year-old self would actually go, that's a pretty cool guy. This developed a lot of skills and a lot of attributes and a lot of compassion and the things we talk about at Christ-like attributes, you have a lot of those. So maybe your 17-year-old self, when he really got to know you, would love you yeah. and be really happy about you. But I think that's the hope is that as your life goes on and you learn more about yourself and you're able to um, help others and, and move forward in a really thoughtful way. Talk about what you would say to your 20, you know, go back and give advice to yourself in your 20s when you're feeling some of these feelings of coming to terms with your sexual orientation, being mad at God, wondering why dating women isn't working, and just these dark, depressed times where rightly so you're withdrawing because you're I think you're hurt. Yeah. And you would withdraw from sources of potential pain like asking you who you're dating and the cultural narrative that you might be hearing a lot and recognizing that just doesn't fit me. So you might withdraw. Talk about what advice you give to yourself. I think the biggest thing that I would I would tell myself back then was that it's it's gonna be okay. Um that that he's going to be okay. And, uh, because I know he was so concerned with meeting expectations and, and checking off all the boxes, you know? Um, and he felt like he was falling short. Um, and so I think it would be really important to tell him that he's going to be okay. And that what he was doing, that he was enough, that he was enough and that he was valued, um, that God valued him and that God saw his struggle, um, that he accepted his, his, uh, his efforts, um, And, and that he, that God was aware, um, of me and cause, cause sometimes that, that was a doubt, um, was like, did he, did he even care? Uh, and, and I, I know that God cares. Um, I know that he cares. And so it would be really important to tell 20 something Cody that, that God cared and, and was aware of him. Love that. Talk about, um, there's a few other events we talked about ahead of time, but um, I'd love you to talk about the events that sort of triggered you or caused you to then come out to your family and friends. Okay. Because <clears throat> as, as our listeners, just to set this up, is um, Cody's Facebook post that I just referenced in May of 2020, it was sort of the first time coming out publicly, but Cody has come out to family and close friends before then. So talk yes. about that. So um, at about the age of 30, I uh, got into grad school and um, 
went to Arizona, moved moved to Arizona for grad school. And I didn't make it very long. I I kind of melted down. Uh, just being away from my support system and taking on school again, and it, it just didn't go well. Um, and so I dropped out of grad school and moved back to Utah. And I knew that there was, I knew that I needed to figure myself out, that there were these huge burning questions and burning, you know, doubts inside of me that I had to clean up and sort out. And, um, and so I knew that I needed to, I wanted to see a therapist. That's, that was in my mind, that's what I needed was a therapist so that I could sort this out. Um, but at the time I had no money. I, I was, you know, not doing well financially and I didn't have health insurance. And so I was like, man, how on earth am I going to do this? Um, and I remembered from my time at BYU that there was a, a counseling center, um, where like, you know, student counselors, uh, got practice. And so I thought, well, maybe that's, maybe that's my answer. Maybe I go that route and, and meet with one of the, you know, those student counselors. And so I reached out to that counseling center, um, and they had a phone interview with me and asked me, you know, why I was wanting to see someone. And I told them that I was unsure of my sexuality and, and was really struggling with, you know, depression and, um, and so they set me up with someone. And I remember when she reached out to me, talking to her on the phone, and my first thoughts were, this is going to be fruitless, this is going to not go anywhere. And, and what a nightmare. Um, I just kind of my, my hopes were kind of dashed. Um, but I decided to stay with it and move forward and, and meet with this, this student. And, uh, and I met with her and it was really amazing. Um, and I, I quickly realized that, um, that we were gonna, that she was going to be able to help me. And, and so I spent the next year meeting with her, um, and we did battle. I mean, we, we, like I told you earlier, we untied the most massive of knots, which was my psyche and my mind, um, and all the kind of, uh, trying to convince myself that, that this didn't exist and this wasn't my thing. Um, we, we had to clean that up and and deal with that and so we did we did battle and 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 i finally was able to get to the point where i was able to accept that i was gay same-sex attracted um and i we then decided that that telling my family was was kind of the the goal um i that was what i wanted um, even though I was terrified, I mean, I was, I was really terrified. Uh, and so we worked towards that. And I remember telling my parents that I needed to tell them something. They knew I was going to therapy. 
and I needed to tell them something. Um, and so, but I, and I don't know, I don't know why, but we went out and we sat in their car in the garage. And I think it was because I, I wanted to be in an enclosed space, some, somewhere small and tight and secret. Um, and, and I told them I was sitting in the back seat of their car and they were in the front seat and I told them and they cried with me because I was a mess and, um, but they were so supportive and they were so great about it. And it was honestly, one of the best experiences of my life was, was telling my parents because it was such a relief. It was such a relief. This, this thing that I had been keeping a secret and keeping, you know, the world away from, um, I was finally able to, to share with, you know, two really important people in my life. And, um, and it was great. It, it felt good and they were so good about it. And so the natural thing then was to tell my siblings. And I was like, I want to tell my siblings and, and I need your guys's help, you know, putting that together. And so my parents and I, we told my parents or told my siblings that we were going to get together. I don't know. I can't remember what, how many siblings do you have? There's five of us. I'm okay. the oldest, I'm the oldest of five. Okay. And, uh, so a week later we all gathered and I, I decided that I wanted to write something out. And so I typed up this thing and, um, and I read it to them and, uh, and it was amazing. It was amazing. My, they were great. And, um, that was a really, really important experience. And that that's one of, it was one of those experiences that will be like part of my eternity. It just is, is one of those moments and, and was so healing, so healing. Um, and because the burden was no longer just mine, they, they were, they were helping me and, and it, it was something that they stood with me. Uh, they stood with me in that, that, that space and, and that felt great. Um, and so that, that therapist, that student therapist that I thought, man, this is going to go nowhere. She, I will forever be indebted to her. I mean, I am just so, so grateful for her. I think about her often. Um, she, works in Spanish fork. And I, I think she's amazing. I, I just think she's incredible. And I, I feel like it was definitely divine intervention that, that I got paired up with her and that it worked out the way it did because man, she had her hands full with, with trying to help me. That's for sure. What did your parents do when you came out that was so helpful? I remember, I remember that they held hands as I was telling them, um, my dad reached over and, and held her hand. And I remember my held mom, your hand, huh? Held your hand. No, held my mom's hand. Okay. And, um, and I don't know why that sticks out to me, but that was something important, uh, something that I, from that experience that I value. 
my mom, she, she began to cry. And I remember my dad, um, and it wasn't crying like, oh, you know, woe is me. Uh, this is so terrible. It was like, it was a, she was crying with me and she realized it, it, it all made sense to her. It was, it was a, a moment of illumination um, where she realized why I had, had been struggling the way I was struggling and it all made sense. Um, and I remember my dad just saying, um, Cody, this is not that big of a deal. This is not that big of a deal. And what he meant by that, to clarify, because it was a big deal, is that it changed nothing. It changed nothing about who I was or how they saw me. And that's what he was saying. Um, and so, and that was hugely important um, for me to hear from him. Because growing up, the, I really struggled with feeling like I met my dad's expectations. And, and I felt like I was not, I felt like I was not enough for my dad. And, and I, 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 so to have him say that was very, very important for me. Um, and, and I want to clarify too, that the reason I felt that way about my dad was definitely because of just a, a lack of confidence on my part. I felt like, I felt like I wasn't manly enough and that I, I wasn't uh, enough of a, a man's man um, for my dad. And, and so I, I, I struggled with, with that confidence, with, with feeling that way. Honest. And so, so having him say, this means nothing, essentially, this changes nothing, was, was hugely important. Did they, were they hesitant for you to tell your siblings? Not at all. Not at all. They they were completely on board and they they were supportive and helped me put it together, like plan, like, you know, reached out to my siblings and said, hey, we want to get together on such and such day to do such and such thing. Um, and so they, yeah, they helped me plan the whole thing. And um, because my siblings didn't understand, like they didn't know what what the reason was for, for getting together. Um, they just knew that we were getting together. My family is really, really close and I'm very, very fortunate. My siblings are my best friends. And, and so getting them to get together was not a difficult thing. And, uh, it was very natural. And, and so when I was able to share that with them, um, was, was, Great, life-changing. A comment and a question. The comment is I've recognized um, that sometimes we create shame as people come out. We, we do pretty good with them coming out, but then we say, let's not talk about this to anybody. Let's don't tell anybody. Right. Um, and that just creates shame that who I am now is not, we're not going to talk about this. We're, and we're not even going to, you know, we're not going to talk to you about it again. But I love what your parents did in that moment of vulnerability. They didn't create any shame. Right. They said, let's help you 
come out to your siblings. Yeah. And the, it, and the message that sends to you, Cody, that they're on board with you and they love this part about you or they, I don't know what the right word is, they're okay with this part about you, I think it was your dad's words, mm -hmm. and we're going to get in your foxhole with you yeah. and walk with you on this road and let's go tell your siblings and let's arrange that in a, in a way that's going to be helpful. And what kind of a signal does it send to you about how they feel about you? Yeah. It, it, it was so important that it played out that way because that told me that, that it, that it didn't matter. It, that, that the fact that I was gay did not matter to them in, in the sense that it did not change anything. It didn't change the way they felt about me. Um, it didn't change our history together and what we had been through together um, and uh, all the, you know, good and, and challenging times, everything we had been through together um, was not changed. It, 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 that, that did not change anything. And so I felt, you know, all of a sudden I was no longer alone. I was no longer alone. And, um, and I knew that they had my back and that they were completely supportive and, um, man, such a relief, such a relief to have that. Uh, and, and that's why that's one of those moments that I'll, I'll always remember. Talk about what your siblings did. Cause it sounds like they did a great job. Just if you're giving that helps other siblings know what to do as you share what they did, that yeah. was really helpful. I remember very well. Um, my and were you more nervous coming out to your brothers? If you have brothers or sisters, because sometimes it's harder to come out to somebody of the same gender. Yeah. But maybe not. Fortunately for me, it, it wasn't. I, I have three brothers and one sister. And for me, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a challenge there. I mean, I it, it was very much... Like after, after telling my parents, which was, was very challenging, like to get to that point, to pull the trigger on that, once that happened, it was like, okay, let's do this. I, I want to tell my siblings, I want them to know. And it was very natural. And so when I told them, obviously I was very emotional. Um, and, uh, and so were they, um, I remember my sister telling me that she, that she loved me. And, and she's like, I, she said that she loved me even more, um, um, because of what she knew, what she realized I had been through. And, uh, and then I remember my, my brother that's right, right below me, uh, in age was, uh, upset because I, I told them about how I had seen multiple therapists up at, up until that point that uh, seemed hesitant to tackle that issue um, and and kind of pushed it off. And, and so, because I had seen many therapists previous to this student therapist that helped me really figure it out that were just not very helpful. And so I remember AJ, my brother AJ, was, was kind of ticked off that, that these therapists were not helpful. Um, and then I just remember... Uh, I remember 
feeling loved. That was, I mean, that's, that was the, the bottom line was that they, I knew that they loved me and that they accepted me and that nothing, nothing had changed. Um, and like, it was again, one of those moments of illumination, like they realized it allowed them to realize why I had struggled the way I had struggled and why I, uh, you know, was that where I was at? And, and so it just was this, this kind of aha moment for, for all of them. And, um, and so it, it allowed them to be, uh, it allowed for empathy and, um, and that was really valuable. I love this word you're using illumination. Yeah. Um, this is a great story. Um, if your family's listening, you know, I just, my love and respect for you. I don't know how you got in this space or developed these skills to handle this and in such a positive, helpful way, but you're an example for other parents as Cody sharing his story and his love for his siblings and his parents. So great job, Swenson family. I want to go back to the student therapist mm -hmm. and your, and I love your visual of her ability to untie the most, these gigantic knots. Right. You're very good at visual imagery. Um, Cody is, can you give our listeners, not everybody can be a therapist, but can you give our listeners a couple principles that she used that as you've been with multiple therapists, therapists, is there any advice that's transferable from what she did to those of us that aren't therapists that just want to help people, parents right. or friends that realize we can't become a therapist. We're not trying to replace a therapist, but we'd like to be more helpful. Yeah. I think one of the big things that she had to do was convince me or, or allow myself to accept that, that being gay was not this like monstrous thing that I had it in, in my mind to be. Um, and so we did a lot of work on, uh, on clarifying what I felt and what I thought, um, but also self-acceptance. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the thing to learn from this, what we can take from this is in our interaction with people, um, as we, as we interact, you know, as, as someone that may, you know, be, you know, so, someone that wants to be more compassionate uh, to the LGBT community um, can can make sure that that they treat people as human beings that that they uh, love them and um, see them for for children of God um, because that's that's what I had to do. I mean, that is what I had to get to the point of doing was was to see myself no matter what as this child of God and as as being worthwhile that that no matter what the truth was, no matter what my truth was, I was a valued child of God. 
And that's, that was really like what the, what had to get cleaned up in my mind. And, and what I believe is what allowed me to be able to say, yes, this is what I deal with. This is, this is the situation. This is the truth. And, and to be okay with that truth. I hope that makes sense. It does. Then I think, um, and I want to get back to your story. I think what caused you to have, I, I, I don't know if you like this term, internalized homophobia, or just this internalized feeling that who, how I'm feeling inside is, I don't know what the right words, you know, just awful and, and God would hate this about me and I hate this about me. So then I think, is that, you know, what caused that within you? Is it all the messages you've heard from society about people like you over the years that, you know, are the us versus them and blaming all the world problems on LGBTQ people? And, and I think you, you can answer that better than I can, but I'm aware just because I'm 59 of all the messages I've heard and some of that I've said myself that I recognize I've, I've added to that feeling inside of you with some of the things I've said in the past or certainly what our society and some of the things sometimes we hear at church when we try to create an us versus them or kind of pin things at the feet of whole groups of people, it's unfair. Any just thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of, and I, I like the way you put that, the internalized homophobia, because that was a hundred percent what it was. It was this, this internalized self-loathing, um, I, and, and for me, it, it, that did not come from a, a, that did not come from God. Like I, 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 there was no feeling of like, oh, God hates me. Um, it was very much a societal thing, uh, and, and culture, um, you know, you go to, go to high school and I, and I, I don't know if it's changed or if it's any better, but high school in my day, I mean, that there's, you know, gay jokes and, and, and it's, you know, a terrible thing to, to be gay and, and this and that. And, and you, you know, have terrible words for gay people. And, and so, I mean, that, that was definitely one of the biggest things I, I know that for me growing up, all I wanted was to be normal in quotations. Okay. I wanted to be just a normal boy and I wanted to be cool and accepted. Um, and, and I wanted to be good. And I did not feel that way. And I felt like I did not fit into society's, you know, definition of normal. And, and so it was definitely a, a societal thing and, and just, just wanting to be like the other boys and, and realizing that I was not. And, and sadly, it comes with the territory of, of boys at that age to, you know, point out those that don't fit in. And, and I feel like, uh, I experienced a lot of that, um, bullying and, and, being made fun of. And, uh, and so, and so what that leads to is that leads to, you know, a lack of self-esteem and it leads to 
self um, editing. You you edit yourself. You you change how you behave, and you try and tone things down, and you try and act like the regular boys, and and um, and that is uh, an exhausting endeavor, and it, it's 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 terrible, really. Thank you for that segment. I love your word, self-loathing. And I love where you said that's not from God. Yeah. And um, self-loathing to me is is one of Satan's greatest tools to separate us from God and to keep us in difficult spots. Uh, some of our listeners know I'm writing a book. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. It's due out in September of 2020. And just want to read a comment from it. Sister McConkie, Carol McConkie, first counselor in the Young Women's General Presidency, just a short quote she made. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not marginalize people. People marginalize people, and we need to fix that. And um, you've been, um, you have been on the receiving end of being marginalized with gay jokes. And this is a story that's in the book. Um, told to me um, by a missionary serving in his mission, straight missionary, um, quote, during one of our leadership conferences for our mission, the subject came about, about how we can improve. I raised my hand and talk about how we could be more sensitive to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters by stopping the gay jokes, quote, we are missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ and His restored church, our examples as missionaries set the stage for the way the community sees us. Shouldn't we be the archetype of his love for all children? Another missionary then commented he had a gay brother that had dealt with cruel jokes from other members of the church. The mission president then reaffirmed the comments by saying he had some gay missionaries in the mission, many of whom were some of his best missionaries. Moreover, he mentioned that some gay members may be an example to us, such as the recent BYU valedictorian, Matt Easton. That day, there seemed to be resolved to repent and be more sensitive to the silent majority of those who have gay family members and friends. So I just, I, I recognize that you're on the receiving end of decades of gay jokes and how that then, rightly so, causes self-loathing and internal homophobia and makes it harder for you to feel good about yourself so you can have a relationship with God and the great work you've done to untie these gigantic knots that I don't believe God put in there, Cody. Mm -hmm. I think our society put them in you. Right. And that's part of the purpose of the podcast is having brave people like you come and share your story so we can do better for Cody's that are 17 right now. Right. And you're the heroes of these stories. You're the heroes for sharing your stories Talk about um, a real difficult time in your life when you did develop feelings for another guy. So <clears throat> about a year after uh, I was able to accept that I was same-sex attracted, I had a good friend, <clears throat> and uh, I realized that I had feelings for him. And it hit me, it hit me like a truck. I mean, it was, it was not something that I intended or, or tried to do. It was, it was not something that I wanted, but I, I realized that I had these feelings for him. Um, and the way I realized it was I, I realized 
like when he would talk about going on dates, it was like a knife to my chest. And I was like, why am I reacting this way? What is going on? And um, I realized that I, I had essentially fallen in love with this, this young man. And um, man, it was, it was pretty rough. It was a, that was a really, really difficult time. Um, I, I had not experienced that yet. You know, I had not experienced, uh, feelings of that, that magnitude, um, because I felt so deeply for him and it was like deep, deep caring. Um, I wanted, I, I deeply cared for, for him and, and wanted him to be happy and, and, it was really an interesting time too. like looking back at it. It's fascinating to me because I, Good. yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's amazing to me that I was able to feel for someone in such a deep way. Um, and, and that's not bad. That is not a bad thing. Um, and, and I, I look at that experience and, and feel like it was an important one. But at the time, it was brutal, and it left me in shambles. I, I, it took a lot of time to get over that experience. Um, he knew that I dealt with same-sex attraction, um, and and he was the one that brought it up to me. He he asked me if I had feelings for him because he realized he realized it. And, um, and so I realized that, that he knew. And, and so at first it was, he was great about it and, um, and things carried on fairly normally, but I think it got weird for him. And, and I totally get that. I, I totally get why that, why that would be a hard thing. And so eventually he, um, kind of pulled away. And I, and again, I totally get why you would do that, why that would be really weird and, and, and uncomfortable. And, uh, and that was awful for me. I mean, it just was really awful. Um, eventually he moved away, which I think was, uh, a blessing, um, because it allowed me to be completely cut off from him. And I was able to like heal from that experience. Um, but man, yeah, it was, it was rough. It was rough. Which has been your most dark spot emotionally? Was it this experience? Was it another experience? It was definitely th this experience. It was my darkest and um, it was the time that I felt the most I, I felt the most anger. I was really angry at God. I was like, what is the point of having these feelings? And, and what is the, I felt like, and here's another visual. This is, this is just kind of how I, I saw how, how I visualized it in my mind. I felt like a generator that had nowhere to, to release this energy. And so it just was burning up. And I, I felt like I just burnt up. Um, I, 
I had this, these feelings and they had nowhere to go. And, um, and so I was, I was really, really upset and it was uh, a very dark time. I remember spending like nights on my floor, like sobbing and praying and sobbing and, um, oh man. And I, I, uh, I remember thinking that it, it was one of those experiences where you don't, you think there could be like no possible end to it. It was like, I, I saw no light at the end of any tunnel. It was like, this, this is it. This is, I'm going to die. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt, I felt like everything was falling apart. Um, and, uh, but I survived. I, I, I did survive. And did you think of suicide? So I'm very, I am very, um, I thought about it. I sat on my bed and there was a bottle of pills in my closet. And I remember thinking to myself, if I took all those pills, this would be done. This would be over. And, um, but I hesitate to say that I was suicidal because I, I just have so much respect for that state of mind. And I, I don't want to like discount it, but I, I did think I could end this right now, but I didn't. There was, there was definitely this moment where I thought I just imagined my mom seeing my dead body and that, that for me left no room to even, you know, toy with that in my mind. I, I, suicide was just not an option. And, uh, but I was, I was in a very dark place. I was definitely, you know, in the abyss and, and, and yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah. I, you said a couple of things that are pretty interesting to me. You talk, I remember telling somebody who was suicidal, well, there's a light at the end of the tunnel just hang on. And he or she, I can't remember, said, there's no light at the tunnel. And you just said the same thing. And I yeah. recognize where people that are suicidal can get. Yeah. And that hope that represents the light doesn't exist. So what do you do to help somebody in that situation? And I don't know all the right answers, but I love where the logic of your brain took you to I think some of the suicide training I've had, which is very little, is to sort of walk people through what happens then if you actually, who finds you and talk through logically the domino effect of your suicide. And you did that on your own where you talked about your mom. Yeah. And the logic part of your brain in the time of just where your heart's just shattered in a million pieces, Cody, was a wonderful um, thing you did to pull you through that. And I know you t would talk to yourself at that you go back and say, I'm really glad you made it. <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing that because that may help other people. Yeah. And absolutely. you may have given some people some tools when they get in a tough spot to be able to say, oh, I can do what Cody did. Yeah. And um, so thank and you. you know what? Time. The, looking back at that time and looking at that state of mind, being in that state of mind, I just... I think it's so important to remember that 
that we have time and that things we, we the story is not over and 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 man it sure is if we if we take that step and so i i just it's so important to to maintain or to to keep a kernel of of hope um and and i i would want the you know any listener that is in that place to to hopefully find a kernel of hope or at least give give let time run its course and and i i i just think that the story's not over i i hope that makes sense it does um I, you know, as I've been on this road for a couple of years, I recognize that straight people fall in love and they don't feel self-loathing for that. Single straight people, unmarried, fall in love with people that they never become sexually active with. And there's no shame about that, you know? Yeah. And they just develop feelings. I think married straight people probably develop feelings for other people and they just recognize they're married and they don't act on those feelings. But and there's hopefully less shame about that. But I recognize for you being a gay man, then it would be pretty normal at times to have attractions to other men, and in this case, fall in love with somebody else. Right. And you haven't done anything wrong here. No. Um, it's taken me a while to recognize that, um, and that you haven't really done anything wrong here or broken any commandment. It's just the way you are wired. So that seems like a pretty natural thing that would happen. And as I've sort of validated people that have had those sort of journeys, I think it, I guess I'm sharing that with our listeners to say, I think that decreases the self-loathing and the shame and helps people make better decisions when they just pragmatically recognize that happens yes. um, as you know, however anybody's sexual orientation is. And right. if you can just keep it out of the shame, self-loathing category, you're going to make better decisions going forward. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, the, the thing that entered my mind as you were saying that is, is of course I'm going to fall in love with someone. Of course I'm going to have feelings for a man. It, it's, it is how I'm wired. It is something that I know how to do is is have feelings for for men and and so of course it's going to happen and and i believe that god um sees it in the exact same way of course that's going to happen so so the self-loathing and the shame um there's just no room for it it, it shouldn't I mean, I can say that obviously. Um, I, 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 there shouldn't be that that shame factor because of, it's just one of those inevitable things that's going to happen because of the way the way we're wired. And so, I approach life in in a way now. I I have to be careful. I really watch myself and and um, and how I interact with people. Because I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that again. I don't want to go through that again. Um, and so I, I very much um, am careful uh, with how I interact with with men. Um, but I cannot say that that will never happen again. I cannot say that I'm never going to have feelings for um, uh, another man again. Um, and I, and I do feel attracted. I mean, I, I see men sometimes and I feel that, that attraction, 
and um, and it's it's taken time, but I have definitely gotten much better at um, detaching any sort of shame um, when that happens, and and I think that's really an important place to get to when you're when you're someone in my position is is detaching that shame from from experiencing those feelings because of course I'm going to experience those feelings. Yeah. Thank you for your maturity and talking about that. I was having a phone conversation with the father who was coming to terms that he's got a gay son. And he says, so it's probably like he was remembering his dreams at night at age 13 about girls. Right. And he said, so my son's probably been dreaming since age 13 about boys. And that's just, it's, he's sexually wired towards boys. And it was sort of this aha moment yeah. as he reflected on his coming to terms with his sexual orientation as he hit puberty, that he just was wired to women. And he says, so this is probably just the journey my son's been on being wired toward men and just sort of paralleling that. And it was just enlightening for him right? as he's recognizing just the own journey his son was in. I thought it was pretty thoughtful. Yeah. Um, talk about being a monk. Okay. <laughs> so this, we've never talked about this subject on 260 plus episodes. So right here we go. Okay. So I, I was just talking about this with, with some family members. Um, one of the big shifts for me in, in accepting myself and becoming okay with, with who I am and with my with the way my life was going to play out was developing and this is going to sound so bizarre this is going to sound really bizarre this is where i'm going to lose some people <laughs> but i i had to develop for me um a sense of identity and a sort of persona and 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 when i when i first started thinking about my life as a as a an LDS gay man that's choosing to um, not go down uh, the a path of of relationships. Um, I remember thinking to myself, "Man, I'm essentially going to be like a monk," and and um, and I sort of cling to that that idea, and it became this this part of my identity. And I, I see myself as, as someone that has laid on the altar my, my ability to have int intimate relationships. Um, and so I have, I have willingly taken on this, this vow of celibacy um, and devotion and uh, um, contemplation and and so essentially i that's that's how i see myself and doing so and this is i know this sounds so bizarre but for me it allowed me to honor my journey and it allowed me to honor my decision and to honor the the the, the choices that i have made and it's given me a sense of confidence and so when i say i'm a monk i am a monk and i i it it affects the way I see myself and how I carry myself. And I, it has given me a sense of confidence. Um, 
because essentially that that is what I am. I have chosen uh, a life of of monkdom, and and I am a holy man. That's how I see myself, and and I think that's pretty great. Um. Crazy, I know. Did anybody sounds... give you that idea? Did that just come through your personal revelation? It was absolutely personal revelation. Like I look at it and it is a gift. It is a real gift. And it um and I've always been like, you know, growing up, I was always involved in in theater and choir. And and so this idea of taking on a persona is something that has, you know, been part of me. And and so I don't know. It just was very, it was, it was definitely divine intervention. I, I really believe. And, um, and as bizarre as it sounds, as odd as it sounds, uh, it is, um, been a lifesaver and a life changer. It has completely changed the way I see myself and see my decision and, and how I have chosen to live my life. I love that. I love that. I've somebody, and I think it was John Gustav Rathal, who's been on the podcast before, talked about, and I wish I could get this right. He sort of talked about forced celibacy versus a vow of celibacy. Right. And and he talks about monks. Yeah. And that they take a vow of celibacy. And it's, I don't know if it's an ordinance, but it's a pretty sacred thing. Um, and when you talked about laying it on the altar and sort of proactively making this commitment, covenant, whatever with God, that this is the life you're going to live, um, that that seems empowering to me. Yes. And seems very much, I, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not sort of being compelled by circumstances around me, but I'm actually choosing this. Right. And to me, that feels empowering. Yeah, absolutely. And it, more it sustainable, away. perhaps. Yes, yes. It, it made it It made it possible and it made it, um, yeah, it, it made it possible and it made it honorable. And so I, 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 I feel like you said, I feel empowered and I, I feel, I feel proud of my decision and I feel cool. very, um, I feel very capable of doing this. And, and in some of the comments on my, on my Facebook post, um, there were some comments that you could tell that people were kind of alluding to the fact that, that a lot of people in my situation don't make the decision that I've, I've made that, that decide to, to leave the church or, or to, yeah, to leave the church and to, to have, uh, relationships and, um, and I remember when I re would read those comments, the, the, the thought in my mind was, you underestimate me. And, and, I, and that, that power, that surety comes from that, that monk persona that I have adopted and, and embraced. And it feels great. And I love the way you're in the Facebook post, I'm going to reread a line here. Mm -hmm. I had to either walk away from my faith or walk away from my ability to have a loving relationship. 
you don't talk. And that one time you did sort of fall in love. You don't ever talk about that as a bad thing or something that you don't demonize that path that you were thinking about taking. Right. Um, is that true? That is absolutely true. I, I do not, I would, I would be, um, devastated if someone was to, if some mother was to point at me and say, see, hun, look, look at how he's living his life. Look at what he's doing and, and he's doing it. So why can't you, um, I, that would be devastating to me because I 100% understand why people make that decision and why they, why they decide to walk away from the church. I, I get it. I get it. And, and my choice, my decision, um, is, is not, I, I am not going to say that I, I, I'm not going to stand here as some sort of like exemplar uh, and, and this is how it's done boys. Um, I, I just, I can't, I won't do that. Um, and I, I totally get why, why some people, uh, go the route of, of pursuing relationships because that is a essential part of, of being a human being. I mean, that is, and that's still something that I, I, you know, know that I'm going to have to deal with throughout my life is, is that need for love and that need for companionship and, and man, so that, I mean, that is going to be a challenge for me. And so I, I 100% get why, why some people don't make the decision that I have made. Pretty empathetic. I've learned that a lot of gay men that stay in the church are the most empathetic for gay people that leave. Yeah. Because you know that world. 100%. And I love what you said there. Uh, sometimes on a coming out post, people will say, well, I've always known you were gay. Right. Um, how does that make you feel? You know, I, I know that people mean well. I honestly, when, when people say that to me, it is not, um, it is not, it doesn't help. And I know for me, a lot of it is, is I think in some ways, uh, um, at least for me comes from the, maybe comes from that internalized homophobia. Um, I, I, I feel like there's part of me that doesn't want to come come across as, you know, your token gay. Um, and, and so when people say, Oh, I've always known it, it's just kind of like, uh, great. You know, that, that doesn't help. Um, but I don't, I, I'm not like upset with anyone by any means. I am. Um recently tweeted about that. I said, telling someone on their coming out post as gay that you've always knew they were gay is generally not helpful. Maybe some of my gay friends can comment why. And um, I, I'll just read a couple of these. <clears throat> um, I knew it. I really have good gaydar. This flips things so it's not about the person coming out who opened their heart and made themselves vulnerable and worried. Um, it's 
it sort of flips it to the person making that comment that I, you know, it takes the focus away from you in this brave moment. So that was um, one of the responses that I thought was really helpful. Um, this is another response from a gay man. It makes me self-conscious. I spent a lot of time to tra trying to pass straight, so to find out I failed freaks me out. Yes, 100%. <laughs> also, if those people knew, why didn't they ever stick up for me <laughs> right. back then? You're smiling, Cody, so I won't read all of these. But um, I just thought that was pretty helpful just to hear some LGBTQ people yeah. sort of talk about that. Um. Well, and I, I remember I, I had someone a few years back when I was like in the throes of my, my journey and coming to grips with my sexuality. I remember having someone reach out to me and, and say, hey, I just want you to know if you're gay, I accept you and yada, yada, yada. And I know that she meant well. I know that she meant so well, but it, it definitely was not helpful. And so that's that's certainly something to to remember, I think, in 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 your interactions. So that's just a sensitivity thing that is, you know, for those of you that are in this space and wanting to learn more is something that I picked up too. And thank you for helping us understand that, Cody. You bet. Um, anything else you want? I'm just going through my notes. Um, anything else that we haven't gotten to that you'd like to share? Um I want, no, I do have a question for you. Talk sure. about your, some LGBTQ people are active in the church, even if they're committed to be active in the church, still go through a faith crisis or just, it's a challenge at times. And it may not even be LGBTQ related. Just talk about your journey with the church right now. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I came here today telling myself that I was going to be completely honest and, and forthcoming that that's really important to me. And I, I am definitely in sort of my own faith crisis right now. Um, I have doubts and I'm trying, I'm dealing with those doubts. I, I, there, there is something within me though that I cannot walk away, I cannot seem to walk away from. And, and for me, the church is sort of this, the gospel of Jesus Christ, for me, is, is a, it is a bonfire in the distance on a dark night. And I, it's something that I can see, and it's something that pulls toward me, and and or pulls me toward it and it's something that i i have to walk to um i even with my doubts in very fundamental points of doctrine i i cannot walk away and i cannot i cannot doubt in 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 the existence of, of God. And that is enough to keep me and to, to make me want to stay. I, ch I choose to stay. And it, it's, it's a daily choice because those doubts are very real. And they're big things that I'm currently, you know, in the throes of, of tackling and, and dealing with. 
Um, but, but I can't deny that there's something there that, that pulls, that pulls me toward it. Thanks for being so honest. Um, I've sensed by LGBTQ friends as they walk this journey, they become some of the most honest, authentic, transparent, not having to project a correlated narrative. They're just so mature spiritually and emotionally with who they are um, that they have in you and right now have my love and respect just for being so honest. And I just think that helps us belong and sleep better at night. If you open up to me with, and I'm your priesthood leader or a friend with your feelings of a faith crisis, what's the best thing I can do to help you? What advice do you give for people that are trying to support people like you that op vulnerably open up? I think validation is really important. And not... It, it, when you have doubts, when you're, when you're dealing with a faith crisis, it is not because you're bad. It's not because you lack faith. It's not because you, you know, don't know enough. And so I think it's really important to validate people that are, are struggling with their faith, um, that it's okay to be in the spot that they're in and that it's okay to that it's okay to doubt and that that doesn't mean that I think it's so important to, for people to understand that it's okay to doubt and that that doesn't mean that they have to like make some big decision right now. And it's like, you're either all in or you're all out and, and, I think that God is very patient with us as we deal with uh, our our faith. And if we have a faith crisis, if there are things that we that we are doubting or we're working through, I think God is very patient with that, and and He gives us space for that. And um, I think it's so important not to be too hasty and not to feel like we have to like, you know, oh, I, I doubt in this point of doctrine, I got to bail. I'm out. I'm all out. Um, I think there is time. Give it time um, and, and allow yourself to, to go through that situation, to go through that experience. I, I hope I'm not being too like long-winded, but something I think about a lot is um, the story of Jonah and sitting in that whale and how awful a, a, a situation that would be. Like if you were sitting in a big gigantic fish, it would be disgusting. It would be smelly and slimy and gross and awful and you're trapped. And so from your, that point of view, it would be pretty awful. Um, and yet Jonah was being transported. There was still motion. There was still movement. And so when we, when we are in a place of doubt or darkness and, and we're having a faith crisis, we feel stuck. But I, I truly believe that if we lean into those, those uh, experiences, that there is still motion, there's still movement, and that eventually we're going to get spewed up on some beach somewhere. And, and the, the experience will have been 
for our benefit. And, and, and we will come out the other side enriched because of it. Um, and so I, I, I would just want people not to be too hasty and not to feel like I'm out. I got to get out. I got to bail. This is, you know, this is baloney. Um, Just give it time and let yourself experience it. Let yourself experience the doubt, feel the doubt and, and do the research and, and, and do the spiritual work that is going to allow you to, to get through the, that, that, that experience. Um, And I really believe that that can be a transformative and transportive experience. Thank you for that segment. Yeah. If I had a red button here, Cody, and you could press it to be straight, would you? I would in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. And, and I, I know that some of your listeners uh, may hear that and think, you know, that I, I haven't accepted myself and that could very well be the case. I, I am still in my, my journey and I am still sorting out a lot of, of who I am, but I know that for me, I would push that button in a heartbeat because I still think that in many ways, I'm still that 12 year old boy that just wants to be a normal boy and, 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 or at least his definition of a normal boy. What an honest answer. Everybody wants to feel normal. Yeah. Absolutely. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Just love. And, and, and if I could convey to your listeners, especially those that may be struggling, um, if I could convey to them that they're going to be okay and that they're enough and that God loves them, that would be um, so important to me and and of such value to me. I I just want people, I feel feel like that's my mission in life is is to make sure that people know they're going to be okay. And, um, And so I just hope that people will, that are struggling, will hold on. And, and because I, I truly know that there is, even if you can't see it, there is light at the end of that tunnel. Cody, on behalf of all our listeners, I've just felt like I'm on sacred ground with you. These are very tender, sacred spaces where someone like you would come into our home and share, you know, this, your story with our listeners. It's an honor for me. On behalf of all of our listeners that have been in tears at times and have felt the spirit, I get more messages from listeners saying, I feel the spirit sometimes more in your podcast than any other way. Wow. But it's because of you. And it's because of your authentic, vulnerable, faithful, difficult, all the words are in this story of life. (laughs) And I think it gives hope to other people that are walking very difficult situations to hear your courage and faith and and working through very difficult things. It's an honor to count you as a friend. It's an honor to have you on a podcast. If your family and friends are listening and this therapist from BYU is listening, thank you for all the people that have blessed Cody's life on behalf of both of us. And thank you, Cody, for the lives you're blessing and will continue to bless. 
um, you have a great life ahead of you, and it'll be a life of healing and helping and bringing hope to people. Thank you. And uh, thank you, our listeners, for being on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Mm-hmm.